0: Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and
1: they forget what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're, both of them are keen to now to, uh, focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these
0: fellas get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back
1: in their asses for 10 years. So the TV stations, Connor, have announced um, all the matches. Um, TJ Cahir. Have announced twenty five matches between or the start of the league and the end of the league. Air have announced their matches. They're starting next Saturday on May the eighth uh, with Limerick Tip and RT are showing three leagues. Uh, league games, as far as I'm concerned, Connor, there's too many. Um, uh, I don't know which ones to pick. I'm a little bit frustrated about that and with two children in the house, there's no way I can watch three, three matches on Saturday and three matches on Sunday. I understand this is a first world problem and nobody's going to feel in any way um, bad for me, but I'm going to whinge about it a little bit anyway. <laughs>
0: this is the epitome of a first world problem uh, as far as GA is concerned. Like I saw, I uh, saw the games announced yesterday and the first thing I saw afterwards was your tweet, not happy about it. Like we know GA for how long, no GA matches for how long and now we've loads of it and you're still giving up. But uh, no, you're right. It's, it is a lot i was looking at um 22nd of may there it stood out for me it's the it's where i picked out the mayo match and west are playing mayo on that day at 3 then you've done it you goal on at 5 at Toronto at 7 like that's a solid what you're talking Dude, six. Like
1: there's there's none of them you can rule out really like i mean that's the t- that's the point that i make and that's your whole day saturday like i'll be kicked out of the house
0: yeah, say well, same as I have two kids at home here, Willie, as well. There's not a chance I'll get six hours solid. Uh, it, it'll be a thing of picking and choosing for me. Uh, well in advance, I'd imagine. I, I'll be I'll be earmarking that 3 p.m. spot on twenty twenty second 22nd of May already. So but like listen here, Willie, like not everybody has two kids, and some people have free Saturdays. Yeah, that's you can spend six hours on the couch. So, you know,
1: good luck to them. Yeah, look, it's a super complaint, really, for me. But listen, it, all I am is this fear of missing out. That's what my problem oh. is. So I pick a match. And it's the worst match of the day, and the other one is a fantastic match, and I'm kicking myself. That's what that's what's kind of uh frustrating me, because there's nothing worse than being out doing something and flicking through Twitter, oh my god, this is the greatest game we've ever seen. While I wait for this dull, crappy game later on at seven o'clock. <laughs> that's kind of what uh that's what gets gets on my uh nerves. The uh the hurling show is starting, not this weekend, obviously the following weekend. Um so our hurling show, we might as well tell you, is back next Thursday. So we're splitting out the show. This is the last show um, of just myself and Connor. The general show we're going football show the following week. Then so next next Thursday is the hurling show on its own, and we have Paul Ryan and Paddy Stapleton going to do that show. And on the Monday review hurling show, we have Paul Murphy and we have Ken McGrath. Uh, Paul Murphy and Paul Ryan are going to be in the studio. Um, I'm going back up to the studio. It's all very exciting. It feels Con- Connor like there's some sort of light at the end of this bloody poxy tunnel. All this
0: positivity, wooly you know, it's, uh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Like, and especially on the back of your tweet about the matches yesterday. But can you just clarify uh, for everybody, Wooly, that you, Paddy Stapleton will be on the show because I think you might've said something about resigned Paddy Stapleton yesterday and, yeah. Some people thought
1: that Paddy, poor Paddy had done something wrong and where he was going, but you meant re-signed and not resigned. I re-signed Paddy, yeah, that's it. I got Paddy on a on a very reasonable uh, transfer. Um, so, like, I mean, there's no problem. He's back in. It was, resi- I, ha- I wrote resigned, all right. I understand that. The return for the clubs, um, Connor. this is where I'm going to start giving out a little bit. So the 10th of May, they're allowed back training and matches can't resume until the 7th of June. So, I, look, I don't know why we have to wait that long. Um for, for some matches, but look, I suppose on, on the positive side of it, at least they know now what, what it is. The 10th of May isn't that far away, two weeks away probably. Um, you know, what my, what my big thing is, like these are kind of arbitrary dates. So on the 10th of May, this is the way I look at it, Connor. without going too much into it now, because I understand people listen to the show to get away from this crap, but say we've been hovering around the 300, 400 cases for the last month, for example. So we'll probably hover around that now until the tenth of May. So what's the difference between today and the tenth of May? Well,
0: is it not to give like I know GA pl- clubs will have been, you know, and sports clubs will have been planning this for a long time and they could probably say we're good to go tomorrow, especially with the GA because underage training is already resumed. But
1: Yeah, we did it know, all it- last year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, no. Like I, again, I I assume that might. Have, I, I I don't know. why, Willie. Like as you said, it's an arbitrary date. Like there's not going to be a whole lot of change in the public health situation between now and then. So, yeah. so I'm not entirely sure. What? Well, just one thing I would ask is that, like, I imagine the the why can't matches resume earlier? But like, surely you have to give, you know, players time to get back into actual collective training before you're ready
1: to throw them back into matches. No. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, like my, what I'm talking about. The training should resume today. Oh, sorry. And the, the, you know, then you're bringing the matches back. I do wonder. Like we obviously know, that you'd probably need the month um, to get some somewhere fit. For the matches like i mean we, we we kind of agreed on that i don't know like i mean we'll we'll see how it goes at least at least it's set now and we know what we're working towards you can be as frustrated or as happy about that as whatever kind of way you stand on that kind of thing good news for people in mayo's aidan o'shea is okay um connor so this, the scan or whatever showed up no ligament damage um to his knee so he can resume that kind of um man of steel never missed a game since 2012 um, kind of reputation that he has that I wasn't aware of until you said it last week.
0: Yeah, I think it was 58 championship matches and but and the, 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 I imagine the bulk of the league matches that Mayo have had in between as well, which is some going, as we said last week, given his position and given the amount of treatment he takes, but just shows you as well that like, you know, this 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 sprung up last week and immediately people thought it was cruciate and that he might be gone for a year. Then, it you know, then the talk down here was more likely medial ligaments that he might be on gone for a couple of months. And now there's no damage, seems to be no damage whatsoever. And he could be back. He looks like he's going to be back for the league. So, but like big sigh of relief by, from from me, Willie, and from many of Mayo as well, and didn't want to envisage the thought of Aiden being missing for the season. And when I was kind of weighing it up, then like with the league and championship, Mayo were looking at probably a maximum, I think, of nine games. So even if Aiden was had had what was to have missed a few of the league games, there's, cold, there's not that many, so you don't want to be playing catch-up. So. You know, to to hear that he's going to be around for for some of the league and in the championship, providing nothing happens in between is,
1: uh, yeah, it's brilliant to hear. Yeah. Some bad news for our Maz. It looks like Jamie Clark is not going to commit to to this year. I love Jamie Clark. He's like a bit like myself, a year on, a year off kind of the way kind of I used to go. Like, Jesus, that was too much last year. I need a week. I need a year. I need a year off this stuff. And uh, Jamie Clark, he's currently in Paris. Um, he came back last year obviously played 2021 the, the current game doesn't suit Jamie Clark. it just doesn't like he's such a brilliant player and he's a creative player not the biggest player in the world but he's such silky skills I don't I, he's just not suited to the modern game at all he, he ends up chasing around after his corner back he's double marked he doesn't have the strength to kind of win that ball that maybe he needs to two lads scrubbing at him he's like he's a brilliant finisher kind of in around close to goals and I don't know I just never really seen him excel in those kind of tight spe- he's in the wrong province as well connor like if the truth be told if he played with kildare for example he might get a bit more space in leinster but like mm-hmm. i mean the way the ulster championship is like can you remember him really standing out too much in the ulster championship in in recent years
0: well not in the big games that's the problem like i'm like i remember him having some decent games maybe earlier on the championship and then Donegal last year being the prime example just no more than a lot of Armad players. He just wasn't in the game at all that day. You know, Jamie Clark, like Connor McManus, like Michael Murphy, whatever, has had a target on him since he's been whatever age, you know. So, like, when, when teams are going out to play Aramad, they have a plan in place for Jamie Clark. And in Ulster particularly, that often involves him being di- double-marked and, and marked out of the game. Do you know what I mean? So, I can nearly understand where he's coming from. You know, he kind of he might do a season and then he's like, geez, I can't take that again. And then he goes away for a while and he always picks some nice places to go away to, whether it's Paris <laughs> or London, New York, gets the Grawford again, then comes back for a year. And, uh, you know, then decides he maybe wants out again. So what is he, 32 now? I, I, I don't know. I like, I like I see some people maybe saying that's the end of him. But like, to me, he's not slow, but like he's never been that reliant on pace. I don't think you know, I I think Jamie Clark is more a yard ahead a yard ahead of people in his head than he is on the ground. He's such a clever player. So I, I hope to see him back because I I do really like watching him play and I and I really feel for him in those games like Donegal last year when, as you said, the the, the challenges of the modern game kind of go against
1: him. Yeah, Oshie McConville was talking about him. That's where it kind of came out. oshin's obviously crossed McGlen played with Jamie Um, He was talking at some media day for um, gambling awareness. He says, I suppose we're not all wired the same way. And he might be looking at some of us who've played for Cross McGlenn and Armagh in the past and think there's more to life than that. And I want more of my life that I want more for my life than that. Whereas our thinking was a little bit on the flip side of that. Like, I mean, everybody has a different um, outlook. Like, I mean, I always remember playing for Leash and leaving for a year and people scratching their head going, why don't you want to do this? I was like, I just don't. Like, I mean, I don't want to do it with that level of commitment the same as somebody else. And I couldn't understand that how they couldn't understand me and they can't understand how I can't really understand them. And I completely relate to Jamie Clark, who doesn't want to go back this year and he just doesn't want to for his life.
0: Yeah, no, and that's completely fair. But the the only thing I'll say about that and maybe your situation, Willie, as well is that, like maybe some of the people that don't understand where you're coming from are those that aren't as, you know, you know, if Jamie Clark, if Jamie Clark wants to come back next year, he'd more than likely be welcomed with open arms into the RMS setup. Whereas you know, there might be somebody who's not as secure in their place in the panel. And if they go away for every two out of four years, you know, some managers like might, might say, Oh, well, listen, you know, how can we, re- we can't really rely on this fella. He's not go- not going to be committed for the long haul. What's to say that he's not going to leave again next season. But yeah, again, like you just mentioned commitment there. I mean, like, it's on record. I mean, there's been studies into the amount of hours the inter-county players have to commit. And if you travel commitments in on top of it as well, like that's not, that's not for everybody. And it's certainly not for everybody when you have to do it, maybe five years on the bounce. And we, before COVID, well, we saw that last year, the amount of players that were leaving, Michael Quinnlevin Kilvin Killian Clark from Cavan, the amount of players that were leaving because they just, they weren't ready to do this, you know, on a consistent basis for so long. So, I can yeah, completely understand where um, where Jamie Clark has come from. He might have had as, as he might have more commitments than you had back in the day, Willie, he? But uh, no, I, I I know where he's. Like uh, I can I can definitely
1: understand that attitude for sure. Tomás O'Shea was talking recently about commitment levels. I think it was on the RT uh, Geo podcast. This is not a, a new topic. Like, I mean, Jesus, when I was in off the ball, you are talking about the unrealistic um, demands being placed on amateur players. And I used to rally against this and rally against this. And I'd be going on big kind of kind of rants about it. It's not fair. And. I, we've said this on the show before. It's not fair because that's not what I wanted, whereas other fellas on the leash team did want it. So, like, I, I honestly think these demands, I think that's a really difficult one to get a consensus on because I, I, I'm pretty sure we've even said this recently, Connor. but I'm losing my memory, is that, like, someone who does amateur triathlons might give up their whole life to train for that. Do you know what I mean? Like, that that's everybody's individual choice. Loads of GA players want that ultra professional environment and they want to tell their friends about how hard it is like I mean that's what they're proud of that whereas other fellas think god this is desperate I can't I can't last another year of it so I don't know how when people talk about the demands are too high how do you find something that everybody agrees on
0: yeah I, and I mean like uh, I think you know to want something said something like something has to give well what gives I mean like you know that's. This, as you said, this people have been banging this drum for a long time. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Uh, I think in fairness, just the study that I referenced there, you know, in the last couple of years has maybe shone a, a bigger light, a brighter light on it. And the withdrawals of a couple of high profile players have maybe, you know, may, made some people reset and think, actually, I'm not this. This isn't but for did me. They ju-
1: did they just want to go traveling? I think but that's living it, in
0: these it, like at the moment, there's no real solution. But them making an individual decision to step away. I mean, like that's. You know, you could you could try to come to some some consensus, you know, about what 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 uh, kind of um, what a maximum output in a week that it, that it should be for an inter-county player. And then in, inevitably, you'll just have, you know, teams and individuals and stuff going above that straight Breaking
1: away. Breaking it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so it's, that, it's really that, impossible.
0: Yeah. it. I, I mean, it, it, it is important. I still think, Willie, that people draw a light on it because. there's there's a a danger of being sucked into a herd mentality as well, that if you're not, you mightn't be happy, but you don't want to be, you're not comfortable, you're not high profile enough, you know, think that you can step away and maybe, you know, return at some stage and and you just go along with it because you think that that's what you have to do. But in terms of a solution, because it's, you know, because we're talking about 30 fellas in a panel whose attitudes are all different, you know, some are happy doing it, some aren't, some aren't. It's really hard to get that um, consensus, as I said, especially when if you said it, Some people are likely to go their own way anyway.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I I don't see a, a very easy solution regarding the professionalism. Definitely not. Um I don't see I just see peop, see players that think it's too much for them having to step away. And even when they step away, you don't often hear them saying that was that was too much for me because there's almost like, "Oh, look, I've quit because it's too hard." You know, like I mean, you don't often hear them coming out and saying they say I want to go traveling, I want to do something else with my life, but they, they don't say the demands are too much. You don't hear. You usually hear that from players who retire and coming out of it, and uh, nobody really wants to admit it when they're in there maybe there's a it's maybe like a signal that you're not able for it
0: that's yeah that's exactly I'd say Willie there's loads of people that are afraid of saying that for that exact reason and for maybe thinking that you know the the perception that maybe they might be soft so like I think you, you have to be very comfortable in yourself you know to be able to take that decision to be
1: able to say that that's the reason why you're kind of stepping away you know yeah exactly right so there's a new strategic group set up. So every GEA president pretty much that starts off, maybe except for that fella from Cavan that thought everything was all rosy in the garden. I can't even remember his name now. He was kind of such an insignificant um, president. But Larry McCarthy, um, I have to apologize to Larry McCarthy. I called him Larry Murphy on several occasions <laughs> last week. Um, Larry McCarthy, the GEA the GA president, he set up this new strategic group and it's led by Pat Gilroy. Now, to G it has commenced on this new strategic plan and they're going to finalise their the results in autumn. So it's led by Larry McCarthy and it's um it's begun an extensive program of research and it's going to engage with every level of the association. Do you know this? Like, oh, we want to hear all your you know opinions and we want to so it's going to be the strategic group is is setting out shaping out the GEA's focus from 2021 until the end of 2026. Um, So we'll get that in the autumn. Now, here's my thing about this. This is the same old stuff. Let's get a committee. Let's talk to the grassroots. Let's talk like I'd love a, a president like Larry McCarthy to come in, because if I was the president of the GEA, Connor, I would know exactly what needs to be fixed because it's bloody staring everybody in the face the big issues. I don't need to talk to Joe Soap in the Intermediate Club in Roscommon to hear his thoughts. I can use my own brain to say this is the association, these are the big glaring issues that I see um, wrong with it, and as a GA president, I'm going to set up different committees to fix the issues that I see are the burning issues, not to find another consensus, you know, and go through this whole process kind of again. So here's the big issues for me that I think a new president would be coming in to fix. So the shape of the season, obviously that's fixed. In fairness to John Horan, he's pretty much done that. Hopefully we'll get the outcome that we want at at the next Congress And we'll have, you know, that league championship with the Provincials before it. And that's fixed a split season. That was the big, big, big one. And you have to give John Horan credit for pushing that one and fixing that one. He fixed it to the extent that the CPA have, you know, gone. So they've fixed the fixtures. Now, another big one for me is county board governance. Can this amateur structure of county boards, is that, you know, functionable? going forward in a professional era of the GEA? My answer is no. I would immediately set up com- a committee comprised of the likes of Mossy Quinn, who's marketing manager of Dublin, a Martin, who's Ma- marketing manager. I'd have the Wexford uh, County Board Chairman. His name escapes me now for a second. I'd have uh, John Costello, the Dublin one, and I'd have other county board chairmen and, and, and other financial experts. And I would set that committee up with a view of saying, can we get... Full time CEOs in every single county board and marketing county board or marketing professional in the county board. Can we afford it? And what will the result of that going forward until twenty twenty six mean? Will these positions pay for themselves? And will county boards be run in a in a in a in a professional manner? Mm. Like why does Larry McCarthy need to do a strategic review to fix that issue straight away? He doesn't. <laughs> do
0: you know like First of all, I, I got a bit of a shiver there, Willie. You said if I was president of the GA, and just <laughs> the thought of that kind of crossed me for a second.
1: Here, I take offence to that now.
0: Not at all I'm <laughs> I'm only joking. Yeah, but uh, no. So, so yeah, you, you a lot of good points there. I think the so the, the the main one I think, and and this is off the back of a lot of issues that have that have kind of arisen in individual counties in recent years, is the is the governance and the financial governance governance in particular. So I think like that. There, there are positive steps in a lot of counties, I think, along along those lines. Let's say you mentioned Wexford is a shining example. Uh, Mayo are definitely starting to get their house in order down here. Dublin, obviously, have had their house in order for a long time. So individual counties are already taking those steps. So I think the important point that you raised there is about the level of input that would be had at central level in terms of the governance of that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So,
1: if a, if a county board can't afford it, can we give them some assistance with a view of potentially even getting that money back? You know, when yes. when these professionals put the structures in place, you know, because obviously that governance, you're right, is linked to the finances, which is a link to another huge issue, which is the cost of inter-county teams.
0: Yeah, to make to make basically to make it profitable for the pick profitable or at least efficient for the county itself, but also to make it profitable and efficient for the association in general. And if you have somebody, if you have a committee um, made up of, of the type of people you, thought of, you talked about there at central level, kind of managing that, well, then you go a long way to fixing, fixing the problem for the association as a whole. But mainly, and I think this is where the problems have arisen, Is the situation in individual counties, because you've been blue in the face saying it, Wooly, that like there's well-meaning and very well-intentioned volunteers working in these positions, but might not necessarily be the most qualified to deal with what has become a a Bahamut, a monster in terms of the finances involved at county board level. So if I was if if, you're right, if I was Larry McCarthy, that would be step number one
1: and to try number one. Yeah. and 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 then we go from there. Exactly. So then like the cost of inter-county teams is another big one. It's crippling county boards. Management are asking for a huge backroom teams. They're kind of being led by seeing what Dublin, you know, big even Mayo, big counties that have big finances and they're seeing what they're doing and they want to copy them. And they see that as a route to success. And maybe a full time CEO would put a stop to that. A professional to tell a county manager that's not in our budget. Forget about that work off the budget i'm giving you that's it sorry you know or is there an intercounty spending cap that can be put on teams yes. i would if i was larry mccarty i'd set up another committee another committee look at the cost of intercounty uh look at the cost of preparing intercounty teams uh, can we do something about that? Can we put a cap? Would that work? Can we pool all sponsorship money? Because Dublin are getting millions every year and Leitrim or Leash might be getting 80,000. Can we do something around that to make it more or fairer for every county country? There's two things.
0: Right well, just on that one, Willie, here you go. You, you, you envisage, you d- devise a budget that you devise a budget for the running of an inter-county team, for example, right? Uh, and then you say, then you 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 say right well you need this for SNC, you need this for physios you need blah 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 blah, and then for the counties that for the counties that aren't in a position to kind of look after that themselves and like that that's the, exactly the problem. Counties have been, like smaller counties have been chasing the bigger counties for years trying to catch up when they don't have the means to do so. So you devise a budget at central level for that, and then you say that like well if certain counties aren't in a position, you know, then the assistance comes from central level. And the assistance comes from central level through potentially pooling of a sponsorship and all that sort of stuff. But it shouldn't be the case where a smaller county is trying to do exactly the same as what Dublin are doing, where Dublin are far better positioned and far far better financed to be able to do that. And they shouldn't be chasing their tails. Smaller counties shouldn't be chasing their tails and spending beyond their means just to catch up
1: when when they just don't have the finances to do that. Exactly. And the other big one then, the last big one. So we have the shape of the season, which is fixed by John Horan, grand. We have county board governance. We have cost of intercounty teams and we have games development money. That is the other big one that needs to be fixed. And I don't need to set up a strategic review committee. I'll set up a committee to see how we can fix this issue. And the elephant in the room is obviously Dublin's dominance. The elephant in the room is the money that they're getting in GEA games development money. And the elephant in the room is how do we bring up the other counties, you know, and maybe ask Dublin or tell Dublin that you have to, you know, do it yourself instead of saving a million, um, a, a million that you can in a year. So, like, I mean, you know. The, the, at the end of the day, these are the big ones that you don't need a strategic, you don't need a committee to know this. You're the GEA president. You f- you should be on top of all this way more than me. You should have your own opinion on it. And th- for me, these are glaring issues. And committees should be set up for all those four glaring issues. The elephant in the room for the whole playing side of the GEA, never mind the kind of governance side of it, is Dublin's dominance. What is going to be done if in a situation Dublin keep winning all Irelands and it turns out something similar, Kerry might stop them every, you know, three years or whatever, because they have you know, their county is just so immersed in GA and they have very good finances with their sponsorship um as well. So how do we get a more equitable championship? You know, like we have the A versus A and A and B um championships now, and that will probably help. But like I mean, is Pat Gilroy Leading this strategic review, the right man after his performance on the Sunday game that night, when his kind of solution was, you know, a natural fit like joining Monaghan and Cavan, who absolutely hate each other, just on the yeah. basis that they all, all, the players, some of the players went to DCU together. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and, and geography, yeah, yeah. So, you may, is, is Pat Gallery leading this? Well, like, you know, so I just look at, look through the names that are like, there's some good names that I, that I would recognize. It's
1: been shared Um, by Larry, yeah, it's been shared by Larry McCarthy. You would have thought he was the one that, you know, his name jumped out at me, I suppose. Maybe he's not leading it.
0: Yeah, the, the, like I see David Hassan, who I would have heard before Tim Murphy from Kerry. Do you know, a couple of names. Obviously, Tom Ryan is there as well. A couple of names that that I would recognise. And like just on, on the back of the Sunday game thing, like Pat Gilroy had some actually interesting points to make in that Sunday game show. We just made a couple of Marsways ways, and the Monahan and Cavan uh, being the natural fits, just purely based on the fact that a couple of them went to college together in DCU was one of them. Do you know what I mean? But the essence, I think, the essence of of Pat Gilroy's point, and which is very interesting considering his background, he's come from Dublin, was about population advantage. Do you know what I mean? And basically that like, if the counties with the advantage, with that advantage, get their houses in order, like Dublin have, that their prospects are of success are obviously going to improve. So yeah, I, I,
1: Conor, yeah, yeah, Connor. But that's and that's perfectly logical. Everybody knows that, and that that's yeah. Dublin. But his solution to it is to join up other counties rather I, than rather than do anything about the counties that are ha- like Dublin, for example, who have such a big population, who have so many finances. His solution is to. Uproot every other county in the country and almost create conferences to take on Dublin. I know, rather, getting... rather than the other way around.
0: Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And, and like that, that ignores what you said about the elephant and rune about the room, but they need to sort Dublin out. And maybe like, like, Pat Kilroy should have been looking at that first as opposed to worrying about whether Monaghan and Cavan are natural fits. But like, I suppose the one thing I'd say in Pat Kilroy's defense there was that he was making that point on a, on a live television show, you know, and maybe like. Ah, come on. Surely. No, 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 no. Sorry, Willie. What I mean is that, like, he's on a committee now with, you know, he's on a committee that are, you know, there's 10 people at least, you know, from around the country that are, you know, that are, that are come from, you know, strong GA backgrounds, strong administrative backgrounds. So the idea that be like, Pat Gilroy might have loads of good ideas, but then that they take those good ideas and they develop them into something practicable, practical and workable and not, not as kind of, you know, kind of just off the cuff, or seemingly off the top of a head, uh, off his head, like they they seem to be expressed on the Sunday game that night. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, like, you need that. You need some sort of radical thinking. Do you know what I mean? Like, like Pat Kilroy had, but it needs to be like some of the ideas that he put out that were just off the wall. So when you have other good JA figures from around the country with good backgrounds, that then they work on them and come with come up with something that's a lot more workable than some of the stuff that he talked about.
1: Yeah. Okay. So in summary. Uh, before we get to Liam Griffin, we're looking at county board governance. We're looking, oh, I didn't even mention paid managers. Like, I mean, some people have an issue with paid managers. I don't. I think it's an incredibly difficult job. Um, I think they have an awful lot on their plate. Um, and the only problem I would have with paid managers, if county boards that can't afford it are paying the managers, if count, if if a private donor is paying a manager, well, good luck to the manager and good luck to the donor. And it doesn't go through county board books. I don't see one issue about that. I say more power to these managers taking money off a man who's more than happy to give it to him because it's a tough job. The issue with paid managers would probably be and plenty of uh, Uh, presidents have talked about this, but none of them have done anything about it. Like, I mean, and probably because you can hide the payment coming through a donor. But I don't think you should need to hide that. If you have a donor that's willing to pay a manager, I think that should be made public. And we know which managers are taking in money and which aren't.
0: Yeah, OK. Yeah. Well, the the famous code Woody, was what? They, they,
1: they tried to investigate the, the payments under the table and they couldn't even find the table. That was about 20 years <laughs> ago. Yeah, OK. It's not it's never going to be made public. That was a silly thing for me to say. But at the same time, the paid county managers, as long as county boards aren't paying it, would you have an issue with that? No, I don't have an issue with inter-county managers being paid, it, because I look at
0: a big, I look at like, you know, a backroom team that are full of professionals that are being paid and the most important job of it all is the manager and he's not being, you know, he's not being paid. I don't necessarily have a problem with managers being paid. I don't know about the fact that like, is it okay for, you know, Limerick or somewhere, you know, other counties, you know, to have, happen to have a wealthy donor that can pay a manager, do you know what I mean? And then other counties next to them don't. And like, did, did, would the GA be comfortable with taking that stance? That they're happy for that to happen? Can the GAs and the amateur amateur organization, you know, they've been doing it for years, but like, can they publicly come out and say we're okay with this? Uh, you know, I don't think so. But uh, again, as you said, like, if, if a private owner is willing to cop up the money, and if you know, I I i have not necessarily a problem with that. I have a problem with can can the, the GA haven't been stand by haven't haven't been standing by it to date, but can they
1: stand by that? Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I, 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 the, the lack of transparency there is an issue, really. Yeah. Big. Look, to be honest, paid managers would be way down the list. I don't know if I would even have it on my list. So here, we, here's the list that we might put it into a presentation and send it up to Larry Murphy and say, just You're scrap that. S- s- Larry, Larry McCarthy. Sorry, what is wrong with me? Um, send it up to Larry McCarthy and say. Forget about your strategic review and all the time you're going to waste on it. Set up four committees. One to look at county board governance. One to look at the cost of inter-county teams potentially capping them. One to look at games development money. And on the playing side, what is going to happen in 10 years' time if Dublin have won eight of the next 10 All-Irelands. There's your four committees. Forget about your strategic view. I've saved you loads of time and you can send a check in the post. Will we leave it on that one, Conor? <laughs> done, do done. done. <laughs> right. OK, up next, we'll talk to Liam Griffin. I'd never be allowed to go off an eight and have a shite like him. And go home with a slab or whatever. Like, I was always doing a bit... Um, all I remember is I thought it was going to get clobbered on the way in there. I threw the ball from there. I don't know. It was, it was pure luck, no in Pure luck. I had fucking bullshit. is you yourselves? So the latest Lake Regale of the series is on tonight at 9.30. And it's a good one because it features Wexford all- Wexford's all Ireland winning manager, Liam Griffin. And Liam joins us on the line now. How's it going, Liam? Good column, good, good. Thank you. I'm surprised it's taken you so long to feature on Lake Rogel Liam.
2: Well, I'm surprised the on it, Colum, to be quite <laughs> honest, with you, Because, with all due respects, uh, I'm not saying this to be falsely modest. Um, I'm a one in a row all ireland and a manager, and uh, I played, I played, and I, I lost my career. But I never, I never managed to reach the dizzy heights that I had planned to reach. And uh, so, look, I'm, I'm, I'm actually flattered to be in the company, the people that are on it, And that's the truth. I'm not saying that before be falsely modest.
1: OK, that's fair enough, because like you mentioned you didn't reach the heights in your career. You played minor under 21, um, then you transferred down to Clare and you played senior inter-county with Clare. I actually wasn't aware of that. So when you went to manage Wexford, you might have been a little bit, You well, not a little bit, you were pretty low profile choice.
2: I was because I'm from a non holding club as well because uh, and I won more in football. I won a lot in football, but I played for every Wexford team before my 19th birthday, except for the two senior football and senior hurling team. So I was, I was, uh, I was well able to play, and I was a skillful hurler and I was a good footballer, and I went to the LSL College in Waterford, and I captained the Harty Cup team, and you know I knew I could play, and I had a lot of confidence in my own ability, to be quite honest with you, uh, and I was permanently trying to do planning for games and things all my life. But, look, I went to Clare because I was in hotel school in Shannon. But my father was from Clare as well and that made it special but that didn't dawn on me as a youngster you know you got picked for Claire but it was a massive deal for my dad because um, he used to be always fighting Wexford's case or Claire's case at, in Wexford at our at funerals relations in Wexford. my mother's a Wexford woman. So look we, uh, we were steeped in the game and I was at Munster finals and all sorts of stuff as a child and so I was steeped in hurling but uh, my club was mostly football and I never trained a team to win uh, uh, hurling championships. And I was training a junior B team with Ben and myself when, when Ross there when we I to invent hurling in it. And uh, my, my time was mostly in football, to be quite honest with you. And I played football for Clare as well. I didn't play senior for him, but I played, uh, played football for Clare as well on 21 and got two months to Munster final. So, look, I was involved across two counties. Coincidentally, that my father was from there. But... Um, I went up in a great club in Clare, and that, that was that was that was fantastic. for Newmarket and Ferguson, they never beaten in a beaten team at them. So I have a lot of hurling done, but I was gone by the time before I did my 21st birthday. I was gone to gone to Switzerland.
1: You were gone to Switzerland with the with the career with the 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 <coughs> course you were doing for the hotels, hotel management. Yeah, I
2: know what happened. Was when when I was in school, I, I um, uh, in college, uh, in secondary school. Um, like my parents, my dad was a guard and retired early and my mother was, was a really great woman, really an entrepreneur and she did a lot, of, a lot of great work and they bought a small falling down hotel and my mother used to run a guest house. So we were steeped in that as well. So I joined, I joined, I, I liked that business, but um, that it's not a business for a fellow who wants to play in sport, to be quite honest, no. it was golf or something, No, it's not, not a career for a, for, for a sport.
1: Well, you must have been—you must have really loved it, Liam. Because, like, I mean, you—you you kind of walked away from the inter-county scene with Claire, you know, for your career. Which we, we in this day and age, we're almost seeing the opposite. Yeah, no, <clears throat> at, I know.
2: Look at—I was in the hotel school in Shannon, and the Clare selectors had arranged that I finished my Claire, my training in the old ground hotel, Nenagh. But my mother and the, the the man over the over the hotel college was a, a Swiss man. But my mother actually sat me down and said, listen, Liam, you know, I know you love your Hurling, we love watching you play and all of that, but, you know, you need a career and Hurling, it'll be wanted as long as you can play, but when you can't play anymore, you won't be wanted anymore, so you need to think for longer than that. Now, I was, I was prepared to stay and go to to, uh, to the old round, but, and um, my mother didn't want it and I, I had great respect for her and what she'd done for us as a family because it wasn't easy wearing four young lads and putting them through a boarding school and doing all of those things. And my dad was a great man and worked so hard in the as well in the, in the business. So I felt a kind of an obligation to them, which is not a great way of joining the business, but I also loved that business anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that business anyway. So, look, but I came back and I played for Wexford again. I, I, but I, I wasn't even fit, and I played for Wexford. I played in the Wexford National League. I played in a Ripta final, but my dad was still alive, and that's the only reason I played. And other than that, when he died, Lord Mercy mercy, him, I was gone. So, because I couldn't do both, it was just crazy. Work until two, two in the morning. Get up at six o'clock in the morning. Work till twelve. Go to down to Wexford's away match and be back in duty again at six o'clock that evening. You know, so yeah. it was just impossible, impossible. Just too much.
1: You couldn't do, yeah, you couldn't do, so like, I mean, you get the Wexford senior job, you were going for the minor job because you had been with a lot of underage teams, you know, in Ross and you probably would have known a lot of the players coming through, you wanted the minor job, you went for the minor job, you couldn't get it, you got the senior job. Yeah amazingly not, and, did, but what
2: happened with the minor job was I was coaching kids because I was coming back from Crow Park being totally frustrated watching Wexford play and I had grown up in the record era and I'd grown up in Ned Wheeler myself were great friends it was Billy Rackard lived close to me were great friends and I respected that team that was an incredible team I mean they were trailblazers of trailblazers in hurling that came out of nowhere so like uh, from the time I was 5 till I was 19 I think Wexford uh, 18 Wexford contested nearly half of the all and Senior Hurling Finals. Now, we won three, but, but there was, to, you know, one fifty five, fifty six, sixty, 56, 60 and 68. But I grew up in Wexford. It was on fire for all of that time because hurling was, was so such... It was the World Cup in rugby. It was the World Cup in soccer. It was the World Cup in baseball, football, hurling. It was the entire gamut of all of those World Cups. It of like it felt like to be a Wexford man at that stage. Like, I remember walking to Della Salle College and there was... A, we'd won the all the day before with a hurling of my hand thinking... I tell you one thing. I will show you guys a few things. I <laughs> was my kind of taken because I was cocky and fierce and proud of Wexford and had two cousins on the team. And look, um, it was just a, such a magical time in Wexford. So I was inoc- inoculated with that, and uh, it's a, it's a, a, a kind of a passion that never ever left me. I just love and adore hurling, and I love football as well, to be honest, because uh, I played a lot of football and won a couple of Munster championships, beaten in Ireland semi-finals in senior football colleges. So look. I loved them both and, uh, uh, you know, I loved them to a point of obsession, to be honest.
1: You you haven't seen the show yet, but you admitted on the show that your first meeting with the team didn't go down too well, which I'm surprised about because you're a very charismatic talker and maybe you became that after the All-Ireland win, I don't know. George O'Connor gave you a one out of ten for your performance in that first, first meeting with the, with the senior team. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking
2: to get the one. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you see, George is a complex character and so was John and these fellas were beaten to death by matches and John was, John, George was getting old and he'd heard it all before. This was well, another bullshitter coming in here again type of thing. That was a yeah. kind of attitude perhaps. But my point was, I don't care what he says, the first thing I had on the board was honesty. And I made the point at that meeting, which I think was a good point to make. You will never have any trouble with me as a manager. All you need to do is four or five to get together and tell me you don't want me, and I'm out the door like a bullet. There be no need to go to the county board. You tell me when you want me to go. Don't tell anybody else. When you want me to go, you just stand up and tell me, and I'll go. That's what honesty is about. And I'll do the same with you. And let's 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 try and see can we get to get together. But they were totally under under. Well, but why wouldn't they? I was from Lair like Lair yeah. didn't even have a hurling team at the time. So, but. I wasn't lacking confidence myself, to be honest, if that sounds cocky. But I was coming back from matches, watching Wexford lose matches that I felt we could have won. So from my perspective, I was working in my head things to do. But one thing I did say to myself was in a pub in, in uh, Ashford, in Wicklow, where people used to go on the way back from Dublin. And I was sick and tired going in there, listening to Wexford for this bleating and going on about this and that and the other. And I just made the point to myself, look, going home in the car, uh, like I'd nearly get under the bed when Wexford would lose in a, in a big match like that. And I remember saying them to Carrigan, "Home, I'm going to do something about this, and I'm going to start holding in my own club, because we'd won junior football, and I'd come back from being away, and I was put in charge of the team and asked to do it, and we put, we, we hadn't won that since 1896 or something, and actually Ross Laird won the first ever county championship. But when uh, I, I, I came back, I, I actually started. With youngsters in my own field. So I said, if, if, if I want to do something, it's up to me to come and r- rear a few guys for, for, for Wexford Harding. And two guys won not in the middle of that day on that field uh, from, from the, my club originally. They transferred away from us. Which was a disaster from our perspective. We never got over it, and that was a two guineas. But they were the first in the field with me that time, and uh, I mean that proved the point that if you wanted to go working with kids, you can you can actually rear a child for extra hurling, and that's why I wanted minor, and I wanted it for four to five years. And I guarantee I was going to get five players every every year that would be fit to play senior hurling, and I put everything I could into it. I didn't want a senior job, I didn't want to be manager anyway. Uh, I wanted to be playing all my life. I didn't want to be a manager. And I'd never envisioned playing against the wall that I was going to be a manager. I just said, you must be goddamn joking. <laughs> I want to play. I don't want to be I don't want to be a manager. I want to be on the team. So from my perspective, I didn't get the minor job. I was beaten by a good friend of mine. I wouldn't canvas. I was never going to canvass for any job in Lexford if they wanted me. And uh, I'd do it. But I was never going to ask anyone for a vote. That's entirely up to them. And that's exactly what happened with the minor. I couldn't get the job. I tried a few times. And even after he won the Iron, I couldn't get it either. So that was that was just the way it was. And then I was asked to do a senior, and I don't think there's anybody left in the country or Europe was prepared to do it, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> they never told me the truth, anyway. I
1: think, But then think... you
2: how to twist my cards with the cook fellas that I hold with in there, John Quigley, the fellas like that, and that I was friendly with them, Joe Shocknessy. And the, the, when I said, no, I'm not doing it, To say that's okay, we'll go for an outsider. And of course they knew that was going to make me... Uh, probably crack up so anyway I, that's how I wound up in the senior job I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, a, a Jose Marino not that he, he, he spent, spent Force as well or uh, any of those people I was just a, a regular
1: guy with a big interest and that's what happened and Camir, have you changed your mind since the Leinster win under Davie about the outside managers in Wexford
2: no, I, 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 think, I think that Davey did a great job for Wexford. I have to be honest and say he did a great job for Wexford. He got us out the second division, which was absolutely vital to be playing at the top level. Your entry level is where you're going to wind up. That's it. I mean, if you want to talk about bringing guys into play second division hurling, they're going to struggle to get to the top because their entry level keeps them at a certain point. So we needed to be in the top field, and Davey did that. That was his biggest achievement, winning Leicester. But what I would say is. That it's shameful that Wexford can't find a manager like we had a great tradition like so why shouldn't we be able to rear our own manager and yeah. then get out there and do it why not like why do we have to go for elsey and uh, that, and that's no disrespect whatsoever to Davy now they have a big entourage as well of people with them as well but like there's very few Wexford people or there are some Wexford people in it so really like Davy has to trust his own panel and I respect that and that's okay but we need Wexford people heavily involved in that game so that we can look. Uh, there's no outsider going to get under the bed when we lose but that's the kind of feeling you have to have you have to feel the pain and I know that Davy probably feels the pain I'm not suggesting he doesn't but the real pain is when you have that purple and gold running through your veins or blue and white or whatever you have and yeah. uh, it, ha- it has to hurt the management as well and I remember they brought in an outside manager of Wexford and it was appalling what happened he came in and they lost the match and went to the Western semi-final the final, and he never went into the dressing room afterwards he just went in disgust in other words you're losers, and that's it. And that was, that was, that, that, when I heard that, I thought, bloody hell, we're really degrading ourselves then, doing things like that. And, and, and that's just my feeling. I think we should be able to bring our own people to manage hurling teams.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. football teams, for that matter. I'm I'm laughing at the George O'Connor just to go back to it to one out of 10 because you gave <laughs> I, you gave us a speech before uh Liam I'm not sure if you remember it was in the Montague hotel and it was in the late 90s you'd won the all ireland and over 20 yeah. years later I still remember it and I'll just let the listeners yeah. fill I'll fill them in on a little bit of the theme of your speech from my memory was the commitment level that's needed to win an all ireland and you we're up on the stage and you're very funny and you gave a great speech. And you you ended up telling us about this athlete that trained every day, maybe sometimes twice a day, watch what they ate. And you laid out this this week of commitment for this athlete and you made us guess what sport was this athlete playing. So I can't remember, I remember thinking it was a boxer or whatever it was anyways. And it was a contestant on Gladiators. And you said, fucking Gladiators, lads. Oh, he yeah. said, if, if, <laughs> if that's what they're doing, what do you think you need to do to win in all, Ireland? But I just thought it was brilliant. Do you remember that? Oh
2: yeah, no, I remember that now. Yeah, I do remember it, Joe. I do, I do, I do. Because uh, I was reading this thinking, holy shit, there's nothing going on. And, you know, and uh, we were talking about two laps of the field and then we're all tired. But anyway,
1: no, but, that's it. No. But, but, but that's what I mean. Like, I I remember that 20 years later and it's just the way you were, you were able to get your point across. And like, I mean, you had to turn Wexford. Wexford had lost a league title in 91, a league title in 93, Leinster finals in 92, 93, 94. As Liam Dunne admitted on the show um, that'll be on tonight, he said that he admitted they were losers.
2: Yes, but I didn't think they needed to be losers, okay? So, I also, what, what I did with uh, there, and I, when I say I, I mean we. I picked a very good management team. I like put two of those fellows with me. They had to be involved in underage or I, wouldn't, I didn't want them with me. That's the fact. Because I think there's an empathy that fellows have that train kids and an understanding of what you can do with a player that, you know, you, you just don't like walk into a field and, they, you know, with all just adults. Because... You assume that they do this, but I think that assumption is not necessarily correct. And my point was, I was managing Ross Lair teams as underage kids, and I know it sounds a bit stupid to anybody listening in the middle of 12 years. We won a county final, we beat Buffers Alley. That to me was one of the greatest days of my life that we could beat Buffers Alley in under 12 hurling, because they would have laughed at people like us. Who the hell are Ross Lair like? They're nobodies. Yeah. and uh, we won a county final and we won it strategically with an under-12 team which is absolutely sounds that it was the way we picked the team that we were able to manage that we could control the game we won it now that's just the way it is well, what I'm saying is uh, you have to the, the adult player I was childish in my attitude as, a, as an adult player and like if you're childlike and you can actually get down to basics and explain as if it was a child even though it's a man you're talking to and even though it's a man that might have played a lot of sport like they they, they, they can empathise with something if you're trying to explain it at that level why we need to do it so what we did was we broke down the game of hurling and I picked Seamus Barron uh, from that New York who, was a, who I played for Wickford Wit, and I, I loved the guy because when I went into Wexford team, you know we were all shy when you walk into a dressing room. I was a complete yeah. outsider coming in from Who Who's your man like? <laughs> you know, so an uh, a scared even someplace. So. Seamus was friendly with me when I sat down friends wouldn't even talk we never introduced ourselves to each other just, just not the way we were we were country guys and that's what happened and, you know it was totally different colleges where we had a great setup up in De La but Seamus was a grand guy and I met him at Underage teams and he was very committed to Underage Rory all a fantastic record in FC but but he played for Wexford he was great with youngsters and he was uh, w- with us and there were three of us together uh, were the main management team of the team and we had a tight knit group and Seamus got sick but we went out we wanted no replacement we were going to wait for him to come back, and I'm so glad and pleased that we did. So that was absolutely important, and they were on the same wavelength as me, and we had lots of meetings about what was going to happen before we got up to say it. Some of them, the boys were saying, Jesus, I don't know if we were going the right way here. and We might be laughed at they "Look, at, I don't care if I'm laughed at The bottom line is we're going to get the message through. Like, and that's, anyway, so we built it on that. So what we did was we broke down the game. And this was going through my head all of the time, anyway, to, when I was coming back from those losing matches. What could I do? To, 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 what would I do if I could if I could do something different? And there was good managers there, but there was things that you're looking at kind of objectively from the stand saying, "Well, I could get this right. I could get that right." So we analysed the whole game, and we broke it all down, and we went through everything. And my point was, okay. I just want to ask you a straight, a straight question. This is when they got into it. After a while, they got into it. In the end, they used to get pissed off with the meetings that I was having. And eventually then, I, have to, I used to have to call the guillotine on it myself and say, no more. Five more minutes and we're gone. No, no, no. We need another 10 minutes. So anyway, but we broke down what we needed to do. But my point when the challenge was, this is what constitutes the game of hurling. And call it out. And funnily enough, we kept writing them down. And that, well, we hadn't got the skill till about 12 or 13. So I was saying, like, why can't we there be tops at all of those things where we're deficient, maybe we know we're not as good as Kilkenny. We, we just absolutely know that, and we're not. But we could be if we got a lot of other things right. So we analysed it all down along the right? line. So. We can be the fittest team in Ireland. Why can't we be the fittest team in Ireland? And we don't need to kill you. And if it's not fun, don't even bother your ass coming in. Because if it's not fun, I want fun. I want to see plenty of laughing, joking, and carry on all the time. But when we're serious, we're serious. And that's it. And we went down to the various bits and pieces. Could we be the best blockers and hookers in the game? And I had that for a reason. Because I was going to do analysis on the games. Um, if you want to do analysis on a game of hurling, how do you know how competitive you are? There are ways to find out how competitive you are. It all seems simple now, but at that time it wasn't enough. So we broke it all down and said, well, right, we can do this, 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 and this." And if we do that, what percentage is that going to give us over and above what we were doing already? So you know, someone you know, when, when I asked one "How much do we need to improve?" Someone said, "Oh, fifty percent." And then someone else said, "Oh, yours is fifty. You want to go hundred? Okay." And I said, "Suppose when I said twenty-five percent was enough. What would you say?" You know, that's all. Yeah. You're, not cross, you're not crossing a line that's that massive. So suppose, suppose you're 25% better. So then we enclosed we said, why can't we be disciplined? Why do we give a fella in a game of hurling a ball at 40 yards out and say, right, put that over the bar and, 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 and expect him not to do it? You know he's going to do it. So what I used to do with training was put the ball down for the puckouts when there was a stupid foul game. away. Say, okay, throw the whistle. That's where that's coming next, okay? That's coming up into this zone now. From from there, from that stupid foul of just pulling the jersey or doing whatever, you've got to be disciplined. And discipline means then you'll focus on the ball because you're not going to. Like how many times do you see young lads under 12 pulling fellas' jerseys going by and no one ever says. You know, stop it. He's a right chap because he didn't let him get through. So, look, I've I been mean, boring you now, but all of those detail, 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 detail that we could work on and work on and work on and work on because we, we, we knew we weren't the best All-Ireland team in Ireland. We absolutely knew it, but we knew we could be and we knew that we could win All-Ireland if we did it. But we never even spoke about All-Ireland. So we didn't
1: just talked every game at a time and that was it. But, but look, it, it's not... It- what did, when you mentioned counting the hooks and blocks and stuff like that, because George O'Connor again mentioned you were talking about stats in the first meeting. And that would have been way ahead of your time, Liam, you know, doing things like that, making sure we can be the best hookers and blockers. Like I remember it was not until 2003, and three, four when we started talking about, you know, forwards tackling or, you know, counting how many blocks we get in. That was definitely before I remember ever speaking about it in a dressing room.
2: Yeah, well, the point was I was doing that now in school. Like, I used to sit in the study hall in Della South College of Warnham and i picked the Ulster uh, hurling team for you and I'd pick the Ulster football team as well and the Collins <laughs> football team and I could tell you, Paddy McGirt, he's going to lead to a great hurler and I, could, I was obsessed with the goddamn game and I was obsessed with how to play the game as well and I was training the team and fellas so would be screaming and roaring in the dressing room and they'd be talking about everything and I, I just think, let us out for Jesus' sake, let us out for I can play. There wasn't any strategy or things like that. Not that, you, you know, the game is, the game, you can have a strategy but people would think, oh, you can't have a strategy for hurling. Throw the ball in and let him off. You know what I mean? Or as Christie, wing ring famous, he throw the ball in ref, and get out of the way. That type, that type of attitude. Yes, you can be strategic in hurling. But I tell you, if you want to have good defenders, they've got to have a different attitude than just the, the, the last port to call is a foul and I can do it and it's no problem. It is a problem. Yeah. You can't do it. And you can't do it in hurling because that man's going to put that ball over the bar. Okay? And you want to keep persisting in that, we're not going to win anything. And I was able to give him stats of previous matches because I got him out. And said, right, this is how many times you fouled, this is how many points the defenders are getting off. So we're able to say before a match, right, they're free takers, so and so, so and so. If he gets more than six points, you're going to get beaten. Now, I'm saying this, and I'm not saying this to be boastful, and I don't want to, it was just pure logic. I looked at Gary Kirby's stats in the Ireland final before that, and I looked through all of the detail, and I just said, if Gary Kirby gets four points or more, uh, we more than likely will not win in All Ireland. He got two points from freeze, and we won by two points now yeah. is that, oh, some, oh, that fella's a genius I am in my I just did an analysis and just looked at it and thought that's not going to work if we let him have six and seven points we're going to be
1: out the gate that's a fact but so, it must have been it must you know, have been incredibly satisfying wasn't it in the second half you gave away no free we gave no free away in the second half. Now I felt
2: sorry 96. for Limerick because they, they got pilloried over that, and there they, they were was some sort of mentions about Because I was I would have liked to see Limerick win, but the one's going to I didn't see seeing beating us. But like <laughs> from our perspective, from my perspective, right? Okay, they were saying that couldn't be possible, but they didn't realise that was our game plan, and we the man put off before half time. Don't forget, yeah. and we're in the dressing room. I only used to concentrate on three things. If you're going on any more than three things, you're going to fry a fella's brain. He doesn't want to hear five and six and 14 things. He doesn't want to hear all that stuff. You might have an individual come with a fella on his own and say, listen, you're going well. You need to settle down a bit more. You need to attack the ball a bit more because you're coming in too late and whatever, whatever. But anyway, so we, we would have tried very, very hard to get that discipline right. Now, we didn't foul in the second half of the Leinster final either. No one copped that. Now, we were practicing this, but what we used to do was we used to have the analysis uh, uh, up on, on on a board for every training session, and this man is a solicitor in Maxwell. He's a mad hurling. He's worse than a Fellow so called John O'Leary these two big hobbies are hurling and opera. So there's, a, there's there's a queer one for an Irish fella. But anyway, <laughs> that's what he does. But he used to do the analysis, and he'd have them out by fax to me first thing of a, of a Monday morning. And by the way, when I got to read those, I could actually then go through every move in the game and I could see it again in my head. Because I didn't need to be packing my head with that kind of stuff on the sideline. So by getting that the next day, I could see and I could analyse it, and it could actually lead to... Where the others got scores because of, of some of the things that happened. So when you get used to it, it's it's it's, it's a very good. So there's so many stuff out there now that I think it's overanalyzed. And we only had six points. That's it. No more. We knew that was give us a good uh, a good feel of the game. So by by doing that. And by making that work, we got used to it. And then uh, we had a big j- powwow after every game. And there's an interesting statistic. In every game, we fouled the most, we lost. And every game, we fouled the least, we won. doesn't matter wow. who they were, second divisions or first divisions. When we fouled the most, we lost. We didn't foul it, except for one, I think, one aberration of that. So we knew that we didn't foul. But in the Iron Final, we Damon Scallon put off. And my point was if you go out there to try and take. Uh, you know, revenge for anything like this. This is the time that we were now half an hour away from bringing home a McCarthy Cup. And I'm just saying to you, if you want to go out there now and lose your discipline, forget the people. This is the place that will be full of seagulls in an hour and a half's time, okay? And they'll be picking up all the stuff off the stand. And now, this is where we are, and it's now to us to be get the concentration right. No fouling, no fouling no fouling okay and that's it you cannot foul because if you do you're going to get beaten okay do you understand that now that's the point you need to remember it's now all about discipline but we've practiced the discipline we've been doing the discipline we've been doing it for the last couple of years we know what it means we know what it means so now go out there and show us we can do it and we can do it that way and you can do it now we can do it and then we have a plan for the extra man because we thought about it so look this is not genius stuff. This has been dedicated to the job you're supposed to do and trying to make it ha- make it happen. That's it. And by the way, I want to tell you, managers don't win matches because managers are all over papers and they get a lot of credits for everything. But managers don't win matches. They can help a player team to win a match and they can help players to be the best they can be. But they don't win matches. They're not on the field. The team has to be good enough to win the matches. And if they're not good enough, they won't win. All of them. They've got to be good enough. But there's ways to make them better, and that's the fact that they have got the skills, but to use them in the right way. You, That's you,
1: just... Yeah, you, you brought in a sports psychologist in 1996 as well, which would have been way before its time. Nee Fitzpatrick um, was your name. And sometimes I wonder, back in the 90s, the sports psychology was completely taboo altogether. You'd have lads sniggering and laughing and everything. You said Nee Fitzpatrick was very good. But I think from looking at the show and from reading about you, you were pretty good at the bit of sports psychology yourself, Liam. Well, I went
2: to the, when I got the job, I went to America. And I went out to, to a friend of mine, Bill Bowen, who is a great friend of mine. He's a, a dental researcher, one of the world leaders. Uh, he was actually decorated in several universities around the world. Poor David, Lord of mercy and his dead sense. And he was such a great friend of me and my family. And my wife got sick. And he was so good on research for my wife, Mary. Ah, look, he was brilliant. But I went to Bill and I said, right, I'm getting this extra job. And his father was Nicky Records' doctor. So he was mad passionate for me to do well as well. So... I said, I want to just dive into some, I want to get some sports psychology and I want to get into that because I think our guys have a head problem and I really do want to try and get that. So we did some research uh, in, in, in Rochester at that time and we picked up the Sporting the the sporting Association of Canada was the leading sports association in the world at that particular time and they were selling documents. Now, you know Vince Lombardi is winning not winning is the only thing and all that. There's all that this cliche stuff. I didn't want cliches. I wanted academic stuff because I could Study it and see what you could do with it. So I found the Coaching Association of Canada, and I got lots of stuff for them on peak performance and how to perform, and all the various absolute total breakdown on on sport. And I picked up psychology books from there, and I studied the psychology books myself. But I wasn't qualified. And John Mm. O'Connor told me after we won the Ireland's and we were in America and all that, I used to give handouts to them that I would I would actually edit them, and I I give them handouts on some stuff like that. And John O'Connor told me straight that when he got them at first, he used to throw them in the bin. Uh, <laughs> he them in the bottom of the gear bag. He might have a glance at them. Now, this fellow has a, a master's degree, I think. So, like, if I couldn't get him to look at them, i was damn sure some of the rest of them did the same. But by the time it was over, he said he was eating them. And, and that's it, because it suddenly started to click and make sense. Now, when I went as far as, we, when I was doing the sports psychology side myself, and I was talking about it in the meetings. Look, sports psychology is common goddamn sense. Sports psychology is not voodoo-like. Yeah. So, what, what, it, it's actually common sense, and it's so common, it's unbelievable, right? Now, so, how do you get a guy to do bits and pieces in the game? And I studied a few guys that had done stuff and won stuff, and I know that, that in one case, there was a guy called Foxy, he won a, 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 I think, an Olympic gold or a world gold in, in, in single schooling, I think it was. But, like, you know, they wanted to try and he's uh, his, uh, his, his coach, uh, they hold the boat for him, they let him off. And he, he was saying to him, look, you're going out there, you're worrying all the time. You're, 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 you're you know, you're worried about the guy. You're worried about the fellas. You know, oh my God, he's gone in front of me. Now he's gone behind me. Can I stay in front? And all that's worry. And then he, po- he made that point. So he said, I want you to do something different. Concentrate on your technique, Okay. Because if that boat, if you miss a stroke in that water by a split second and your concentration drops, that boat's going to waver. And if that boat wavers, these fellas are so good it will beat you. You can only be as good as you can be. So, right, this is it. You go and this is what I want you to do. And when that gun goes and that boat's let go, I want you to say fast and clean, fast and clean. Fast and clean. In other words, get your technique right. Get those oars into the water fast. Get them in clean, and make sure you keep doing that. And then you worry about your technique. And if you're not good enough, you won't win. If you're good enough, you might win. So you get know that before you go. So we try yeah. to develop mantras like that, that during the game that you could keep a concentration, and so that you were you were concentrating on concentrating on technique, and uh, to try and keep to do to do the right things. So well, that's
1: it. anyway. We, we, no, but that's it. And that's like, I mean, that's called visualization probably now. That's what the yes, new word is we kind of come in. With, no,
2: we were using visualization big time at that stage. We yeah. were using, but we were doing visualization in the field without them knowing. For example, if I'm refing a ball, I'd have 10 or 11 balls in my pocket. Or whatever. And if I blew a whistle, I dropped the ball beside me and said, the result of what we've done there means that ball is coming down to where I am, right? And I stand now and I'd be within five yards of that ball. Okay, so... Let's see how how it happens. So that's making them visualise because they can see it then on the field. There's no yeah. point in just giving them a lecture without giving it, so, showing how it works. So from our perspective on it, we got, to the, we got through the league and we, we got a few monkeys off our backs. We got promotion to the league in '96. I went through a rough passage in '95 because I was trying to suss them out. But anyway, so I went and I just made a point. Look at, lads, I've done sports psychology for the last year, for the last year or whatever. Now, uh, I'm putting a proposal to you I don't know enough about sports psychology. Call him an expert, but what about bringing in an expert? And Tom Dempsey, I think, piped up. He said, "Oh, Jesus, that's a great idea, Liam, because we had a good Liam kind of relationship. We weren't uh, daddy and master of school. I encouraged everyone to make their comments on anything they wanted to say. I didn't mind yeah. what they said to me. Uh, but anyway, so we, yeah, we'd we'll be all over the Daily Star or whatever with extra higher heights. I said, "Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, okay, that's fine." Uh, and then they said, "Right." We've got the panel in here now. So who, who here is going to go out and tell their sister, their brother, their mother? Because if you want to do that, lads, you know, you know, we're really not at the races. We're not mature enough to handle this. Lad. So if you can't handle it, only the people in this room should know. Nobody outside this room should know. And the first one who breaks it is is, is is going to ruin us. So if you want to ruin us, go out and tell your mother. Go and tell your sister. You won't believe what we're doing. And that, that's what will happen. OK, so. So we're going to debate it. So I said, okay, we'll debate it then. And we said, right, okay. Then someone piped up and said, listen, if it only got us 1%, what's wrong with it, right? Okay, so we got on to the discussion. So my point was, if it's not unanimous, it's not going to happen, okay? It has to be unanimous now because Tom made a good point and we need everyone to be buy-in. So putting your hand up means you buy-in. If you're not putting your hand up, be fair, keep it down. And if our if, 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 if hands don't go up, we're not doing it, Okay. That's it. So it's yeah. up to you. So we gave enough time to get them to talk. And then after a while, we said, right, uh, that's it, over, or whatever. And they said, oh, no, we want more time. Anyway, I interviewed three different people. And I interviewed Need Fitzpatrick. And Need was fantastic. And another fellow was very good, but he kept telling me he had some great ideas for hurling. I didn't want them to have any ideas for hurling. I wanted them to have <laughs> a singular focus singular focus lead me to the hurling not because I'm arrogant or because I felt that we can't have mixed messages with everybody talking about it. Somebody, everyone has to have their own job. Stick with your job, stay with the job and that's it. So I interviewed Naive and she was fantastic and we still so said we are on to a, a level and I thought this is good. It's a female. That will make, bring a different uh, mindset into the group, right? So we're all in Ferry Cary Codald. We're all waiting for me to bring out this psychologist and I never told them who it was. And I walked her down. Would all agreed. And we did a unanimously agree. So we walked her in and I said, no, oh, I think we've got a great headline in the paper. Wexford hire woman uh, <laughs> head shrink sort to help to try and win a match and have won nothing for 40 years. Lad. So, that's <laughs> not, yeah. so, you know, so we had a unanimously. And to be fair... And that never came out. And, uh, you know, everyone kept it quiet because it wasn't in our best uh, uh, interest to try and undermine ourselves by telling it. So the lads were brilliant. And we stayed together. Now, Martin was worried about this. Martin said, "Fellas, we're not going to make the 25 might do it. I said, Martin, look at him. I'm telling you now, straight. I either, or I don't, I've never there. And we're not doing that. Everybody is going to be told, not the, not just a select group group, because that's elitism. We're not doing that. These guys are here on merit, and that's it. Because if you drop dead in the morning, one of these guys are going to replace you. So that's it. So let's, let's 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 trust everybody. So we did, and we got on with it. Now we had reservations and worry and all sorts, but I think the lads were just brilliant. Anyway, they were brilliant. We had a great group by now. We had we had one hell of a group by then. Like I think we'd have won the World Cup. You know, <laughs> that's a fact because we had fellas so tuned in. You know that, and 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 they were so together on it now. And these fellows had had lived a very tough life on the and fields. So this was this. They suddenly saw some light at the end of the tunnel. And we tried a few game thing plan things that worked for us. And they got more belief in me then as well. I know they did because we worked moves and things that actually we could make him work. And uh, you know, so so it, it started to work. But um, look at. It, it's still back to the team. They were good enough and they embraced it and they did it themselves and that's the truth and I used to look at the mirror every day and I know what the truth is.
1: Yeah. Well, like, I mean, I have to say, like anybody going to watch the show um, tonight, Liam Dunn almost sheds a tear talking about one of your, how tight you were as a group and you were walking around, you were punching their chest before the All-Ireland final and you went to Tommy Kyo who had been bullied in the league against Limerick and you made a, you know, a speech, you gave him a kiss on the cheek and Liam Dunn's telling this um, Lee, and he 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 breaks down actually telling it. That'll tell you. I, I almost believe you when you say you would have won the World Cup <laughs> the way if <laughs> if that's if it's all been making Liam don't cry twenty five years later.
2: Yeah, yeah, a uh, few fellas say Mark cry in were too, I think. <laughs> but
1: uh, <laughs> no, but, he, but, but, but Liam
2: Don was a was a great hurler, and there's a lot of people said oh he, he was dirty and things like that on occasions. Liam Dunn got a lot of try- I saw Liam Dunn getting some desperate hardship, right? Oh, really rotten things happened to him, but he had to hold his discipline because I played with a great player in player, a great player in the club, a fellow called Jimmy Cullinan. And Jimmy Cullinan was the best center man. And Shelf and Leen Dunn, and Joe Dollard actually was a great centre-back for a small man in, in, in Leash as well. I always admired him. He was a great little bit of stuff. Now, they were small men, but they were the best small men I saw playing centre-back. I saw small men like Cocklin's of Offley as well playing wing-backs. And, yeah. and their man Kelly from Gaul was a great wing-back. But the boys were three small men playing centre-back. And everybody put a great big fella, on. And then they start crying when the big fella couldn't beat them up like. Uh, you know and it wasn't about that John Power and Liam Dunn used to nearly kill each other playing Hurland but there was never hardly a dirty stroke but by Christ were they letting, letting it go first time but Liam was absolutely he was really on message for for discipline. And uh, Gary Carvey's finger, his little finger was broken in the final. And, uh, you know, people maintained to me that that I'd set up this to happen. I certainly did not. And I never, ever, ever told anybody in a dressing room ever in my life to foul. Because I believe that's the last bastion of the crook. Yeah, I don't win this goddamn thing fair. I walked out of Crow Park that day with my head held high because we played the game as it should have been played. That's as far as I was concerned. And I didn't want to be over any team that wouldn't I I did hits. I hit, I hit. gobshays because like, I got marked by too many of them. Fellas that uh, <laughs> give you a hand at the heart and the balls or whatever they do with the leg with you. And they thought that were, they were great fellas. Like. You would, just because you were going for the ball, because you wouldn't surrender a single ball uh, for the sake of getting a blow. But they were uh, evil whores. So I just think that, you know, I never wanted to have any part of that on the team that I was over. And I never did. Never, ever, even at club level. Never.
1: Come here one question before I let you go that I wanted to ask you was and and I never forget this from watching the match live myself but then Cyril Farrell said it in analysis maybe 10 years later is how ye walked out onto the field that day like Martin Storey looked like he was just walking up to the to the shop leading out the team and the team and Limerick stormed out stormed out and you know did the Munster thing and everything and what was the thinking behind that
2: Well the match and for the and I, I was thinking my way through this how can I get them to do something that's a bit different okay so I think there's prayer around the pitch when I was I see the prayer around the pitch now with fellas handing water to each other which is fair enough And I see them having chats going around the field one fellow pull up beside another I think it's the most marvellous kind of thing there was a time when I felt it wasn't cool myself I thought the, I thought maybe soccer lads coming out through the tunnel and I like being cooler when I was a bit younger but now I just value those prayer around the pitch I think it's a fabulous thing to do right Anyway, so we said right. We had a meeting and said, Right, what do you think of the, of the parade around the pitch, lads, and the warm up and all that? Oh, geez, a lot of bullshit uh, going on. You're half an hour waiting to get out there. I said, Okay, okay. So I'll tell you what, then, we won't do that, okay? We're not going to go out. What do you mean? I said, we're just not going to go out. Why, why should we go out if, if it's not going to be in our best interest? We go out when it's ready for us, and we, can, we won't do any taking part in some of this stuff. We just go out and do it, right? Now, we wouldn't say we wouldn't do the parade around the pitch. So someone said, sure, okay. And someone said, yeah. And then I said, because that's a kind of a juvenile thing to say. That was never going to happen. So then someone said, sure, we can't do that. And I said, right. Well, then how about this then? And I'm not saying this to be nasty to Limerick. I said, they will not walk the full round of the pitch. I'm giving you this character. I'm telling you right now, they will not walk the full round of the pitch because the way they are geared up, the way we had it down in Limerick and we had a bad game down there, they are going to try and set the pace. They are going to try and lay down. This is a subliminal stuff thing. Now, what we're going to do, I would suggest, is we walk the full round of that pitch. Okay? We walk to the last step. Everybody, with our heads heads held high, and if they break, don't even look at them. Uh, uh, I'm making a suggestion to you. And then, when we're going to meet the president, why can't we stand like soldiers? We're going to war in a match. Not, not that it's war, dirty war. It's a, a legitimate war. Why can't we stand like soldiers in there? Why can't we stand with our chests out and our heads held high? Because we may never be back here again. And as a group, we, we, we you know, the odds are we might never be able to get back. And I knew I was gone anyway, so going to. I wasn't going to be back there anyway. So I said, why can't we do that? Why can't we do that and embrace it and go out there and... It was Neve's suggestion. I got credit for it. it wasn't me. Neve said. I said to Neve, I want to do this. I said, I need them to stay. What do I? Do? What do you think I should do? She said, Put the traffic light system on her. Tell them it's red first. It's on red. Then you know. Then it goes whatever amber. And then it's green. And you don't just start firing yourself up until that until the green the green light comes on. So that was a kind of visualization as well. So they did stand like soldiers. They stood like those men. And I'm absolutely so proud of the way they stood up and. I know I'm not making a little of any other team but Limerick were leaping up and down and they are doing and, and then psychologically we took over because we were saying well okay we can do that and I'm sure that fazed them a little bit that we were able to do that. Mind you they got four points in about the first four minutes <laughs> so it did them too much. <laughs> but anyway. so
1: That was always the thing like I mean which, was, which approach was right because they got the good start but then you got the good finish so like I mean you know yeah, and, no, it, it's
2: well, hard. I'll, to... tell you, I'll tell you I'll tell you we said that too if you come up all full up and seen you know what you can run out of energy very quick when you start really flying for a start. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you get caught and you start to settle. And when you get into that, into that groove of, of not being able to be up on top of it, you played and I played games where no matter what you did, you could, the team couldn't get up. They just couldn't get up to the pitch that they needed to be up to. So we needed to concentrate on getting ourselves right and that we, the pitch would come. And, and, and I think that's, that's, what, that's what happened. But from our perspective, like it was better that we went in like organized, and in control, and everyone knowing everyone's in control, and then it's very important for the players to know the lads on the line are in control, they know what they're doing. I don't yeah. need to start fretting on what's happening what's going to happen here because we had a system as well where we said, If your man moves, you move with him, do not look near me, don't go near me, just move. If if if, if has moved off you and he goes to the wing forward, and Johnny Dooley has moved off Shawnee Flood. Shawnee Flood had been hooking him like holy hell, and Johnny was getting a bit frustrated with him, I'd say. And I wouldn't blame him because Shawnee was a frustrated uh, as a nation with his hook he was brilliant. So the and Cregan switched into the far wing, and Shawnee just trotted after him. So what happens now? Johnny Dooley winds up in the far wing saying, Jesus, he's uh, he's with me still, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like so everybody moved after the man and I said, We will decide when you go back to your own position. Stay where you are, keep hurling, don't drop your guard. Keep attacking the ball, stay in your position, and then we'll call you back and put you back in your own place. Which meant that he might be full back, and Jerry Cush was right half back in the uh, uh, semi final against Galway, passed the ball to Adrian Fenland, put it into the square, Billy Burns I, clicked it into the back of the net. And that was Jerry Cush right half back. Now, he was full back. Now, his man moved out, so he followed him. So that yeah. brought him out into the play. So, like, you know, this thing of fellas having the selectors then, hey, Johnny, come back, come here, come here, come here. Come here. you go over there in that far corner, and you. And this is a whole meeting going on. In a game of hurling, playing 100 miles an hour. You could lose an all Ireland over that. And the point we could muse was that didn't Limerick lose an all themselves with that, too awfully, uh, you know, with a last-minute goal. The whole thing fell apart in the last few minutes. So don't let that happen to us. So yeah. don't be worrying, and we give them reasons not to worry on the field of play. That, that was kind of what we were trying to do. But this is from sitting down. I used to walk the beach outside from my own home here. And I just walked the beach, thinking, 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 get up at five in the morning, walk along the beach, and go through again from start to finish. Go through it again, fantastic. Go home, back and write down a few notes on it. Then go back through it backwards. You know what I mean? But that's what it took for us to do it. We were not Kilkenny. We were not Galway. We were not Cork. We were none of those people. So we knew who we were. And that makes it all the better, because you can get a better tune out of the fiddle when you know what you have to play.
1: Yeah, yeah, just the, the parade thing for me was impressive because the temptation is to break when the other team breaks and Limerick had got their boost from going in front of the canal in front of their fans and then they walked up the, the Cusick and they broke at the halfway line and your fans are on Hill 16 so it was very good to have thought about that and got your moment with the fans on Hill 16 you would have been, they would have got a psychological marker had you broke away there and missed what they had you know, I, all this probably thing goes on like you but say, like, but, kind but, of little but, small but we things were. We
2: were never going to break away anywhere. Didn't make any difference. But our fans went berserk when we didn't break and the Limerick as broke. Yeah, right? yeah. So that sent the stadium. And I, I had good friends in Limerick as well. And they said, oh, Jesus Christ. When that happened, I said, uh, a friend of mine, I played with him actually, but he, he was in college with me and he said, <laughs> so not very flattering. He says, the other little fucker, <laughs> he's after coming up with something again on this one. Because he knew that that, 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 that I might have been thinking like that. You know, uh, so because he played with me. So look, look, that's not master stroke. It's not a master stroke, but it's managing the day. We needed to manage that day. Yes, the details. right? The detail. But like, why would we not match around the field? Well, and my point to the boys in the meeting was, lads, we are playing in an All Ireland final. Like, you know, we're playing in an All Ireland final. Can you believe we're playing in an All Ireland final? Why wouldn't we want to do everything the right way? Why don't we want to walk? That's not good enough. Win the cup. Win it the right way. Win it the right way. Do everything the right way. And if that's our line for the day, then we do it. And we'll be prouder. And we'll live this 25 years from now. I remember saying that to them. We will remember this day. And we will remember that we did our county proud. And we do our living best. And if failure is the end of it, we will have failed trying to do the right thing. And that's what we need to do. And then we can be proud of ourselves. Because that's the heritage you come from. Because our Wexford team in the 50s were absolutely fantastic fellas they would give a great example they were sporting men they were great men don't forget we're the only people in the world that carried an opponent after we won on our first Ireland against a massive team and we chaired Christy Ring off the field that's what Wexford fellas did and that was something fantastic to do right so that's where you come from that's who we are so let's go go out and be be the real Wexford and that's it so like and I meant that I'm not bullshitting here now I meant that that's who we were that was our heritage Pick up the flag
1: and move on with it. Put yeah. It on top of you, the mountain and go home. You nearly have me. I'm not, I'm never a hurler, Liam. You nearly have me searching for the hurl in the house here that I use for for protection <laughs> if anyone breaks in and get a slitter and poke it around. I so, say, come here. Well, just last question here. We know you had to finish up, obviously, after the '96 All Ireland win. Um, your wife got sick. Your wife Mary and you walked away. Do you think you would have won another All Ireland had you had you stayed on?
2: I, I can never tell that. But what I would say is this that like Rory stayed on, Seamus wouldn't go. When I was going, Seamus wouldn't stay. And uh, it's a pity Seamus wouldn't have stayed as well. But it broke up the management team a little bit and so like I suppose that was going to have its ramifications. But we won Leinster the following year as well yeah. and it could have beaten Tipperary as well. But I, I would have loved to have had a go with Claire. I really would because the, the, you know they were? The, I had played for player and I would love to play a player and get to an island final and play a final. Finally, play Clare. They had won ninety five. We won ninety six. And I think like Clare were a great inspiration to me. By the way, they were a great inspiration to me. Great inspiration to me. And uh, like and Loughnan, that that, that team was a, a, a you know great, great, great motivator for me as well. And I looked at that team, and I put the, I put their names down, and I picked the Wexford team and put them on them. And I started looking at the teams, and I thought. We're good we're every bit as good as those guys. We are every bit as good as those guys. She's I'd love to have a cracker player. And like I like I, I felt I couldn't lose if the you know, we, it was something like you would had a, a, a foot in both camps. But from our perspective, like uh, I think uh, if we could have got player, it would have been a great spectacle. I can't say we would have won, but I'd love to have been managing the team that would have got to an island final against player. Uh, it would have, it like would other, have been
1: it would have been psychological warfare with yourself and Loch
2: well, i locked down you give me a box i out.
1: <laughs> I'd like to see the tricks the two of you would have gotten up to because he would have been a lot into that kind of, you know, let's lay down a marker here, another marker there, you know, and thought about st- stuff probably similar to you at the time.
2: Yeah, but as well as that then, like we had, we had, we had a plan for every eventuality, like so, <laughs> If he laid down a marker, we'd have been, <laughs> we probably would have had to match fire with fire, but I wouldn't have come to that, so it never happened anyway, but it, w- it would have been great.
1: Liam come here I've taken up enough of your time I know you have I know you have to go thanks very much for taking the call and the Laker Gale is on tonight half past nine and it's not to be missed thanks very much Liam
2: OK Colin thank you and
1: When I started running I suppose I didn't stop and when I got the chance to go I said I would stay going so they opened up we We're only the small little fish out there so we are and we're trying hard to make it through but it's harder to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. I'm delighted that the lads lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I'm I'm heartbroken. am heartbroken.